welcome back to Fun on Weekdays podcast, everyone. My name's Jenna. I'm your host. And today I am literally so honored. It's actually insane to be joined by Dan Reich, who is the founder of Tula and also just an incredible person that I've had the privilege to meet in this past year of working with Divs. And so today we're going to be talking all about his history and entrepreneurship, how he started Tula and eventually sold it last year around this time to Procter & Gamble, and how he is now involved in other beauty brands like Divs as an investor. So everyone, welcome Dan Reich. Great to see you. Welcome to New York. <laughs> Thank you. Happy to be here. Although I will say it's like it's pretty cold outside, but I don't know if every single building here jacks up the heat inside to make up for it because yeah, it's like all. 85 degrees everywhere. Yeah, I run around just holding my jacket in my hand. Yeah. Pretty much. At that point, it's like I didn't even need this like long leather coat that I brought. Well, it's great to see you. Great to see you, you too. Done a lot with the did team so far, and that's just beginning. I'm sure we'll touch on it, but it's great to see you in person. Yeah, of course. So, you guys, I met Dib. Uh, I was gonna say I met Dibs. I met Dan um, about was it two months ago now? Yeah, probably Dallas. Yeah, Dibs event. Yes. So I met uh, Dan in Dallas. Two months ago, they were doing a, an event there, and it was after the event. We're sitting around drinking mar margaritas in the hotel lobby and just having this like really long talk about his whole kind of experience growing up and how he got to where he is currently. And at the time, I was just feeling so lost. I actually had no direction in what I wanted to do. And I'm sure if you're a long-term listener of this podcast, like you have seen that. And lately, I've had this weird sense of motivation. I don't really know where it came from, but I left our conversation feeling like, wow, I'm like really motivated and I feel like I can do literally anything if I actually just like go full force at it. So I wanted to share part of that conversation that we had together, starting by kind of your upbringing and where you grew up, all of those things, if you've always been super into businesses. Yeah, sure. Well, first I'll say like, uh, and I'm, I'm the eternal optimist, but I actually do believe anybody can do anything. It's just, we've been trained in life and built on these societal treadmills that think you, you know, you go to school, you get good grades, you graduate, you get a good job, you get a promotion, you get a, and like, you know, you fast forward 40 years, 50 years later, and it's like, you know, what have I done? Um, and so I think if you realize that and you are conscious about it, you could hit eject off the treadmill like you have. Mm -hmm. And that's when life gets real fun because then you kind of take everything uh, on your own and you go attack the world and it's way more exciting. And so, yeah, like for me, I just was really fortunate to experience that at a young age. So I've been building businesses and doing the startup thing or <laughs> entrepreneur thing my whole life. Like in high school, I was collecting baseball cards and selling them on my sidewalk to my neighbors. <laughs> um, and then I graduated from that and would buy bouncy balls on eBay and would sell them wholesale in high school out of my locker, um, which I ended up getting suspended for because next thing you know, there's bouncy balls flying all over. It was like chaos. <laughs> um, and then the real, the, actually the first real business I started was, was also in high school. Um, I would go online and buy Urban Apparel Wholesale, like Rockware, Sean John jeans, Apple Bottom jeans, and I would sell them online. So I'd get up in the morning at like six o'clock in the morning. I'd turn on Yahoo ads and Google ads, and I'd get that running. And during the day while I was at school, my customer support and service team would take all of the orders. And by customer support and service, I mean my mom. <laughs> so my mom I was going to say, yeah, like, I, I don't think Amazon was like as big at this point, the drop shipping world. No, no. Like I, I went to the bank. I created a, a business. I opened a bank account. They gave me like a physical credit card processing machine and I set it up in 
in a room in my house. And so I'd go to school. My mom would go to the office and she'd sit <laughs> and check emails and process the orders. And, and then we had a partner fulfill them, drop ship them to the customers. And that was working really well. I'd come home, I'd reconcile the ads and revenue mm -hmm. and so on. And that was going for a couple of months. And fast forward a bit, started to get a bunch of really nasty customer complaints. Like, this isn't what I bought. And uh, you, you actually didn't ship me anything and, <laughs> and on and on. And it got to the point where clearly things are broken. And long story short, I realized that the partner I had partnered with um, was just like a crook. Like he would literally, oh. he literally stole some of the products and it just uh, didn't, didn't end well. But that was my first real lesson in entrepreneurship, which is the most important lesson is uh, choose the right people to work with. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, everything you do in business is predicated on who you surround yourself with. And for me, I learned that you needed to just surround yourself with people of integrity that were hardworking and positive and optimistic. Said another way, I, I always wanted to be and still always want to be the dumbest person in the room mm -hmm. because that means you know you're surrounding yourself with better people and enter learning and growing. So anyway, that was first real company in high school. And then I went which was in New Jersey, which is where I grew up and now live. Uh, went to college in Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin, studied electrical and computer engineering. And that was pretty funny too, because <laughs> I graduated at a time when um, Wall Street was booming and then we graduated it and, and it collapsed. Uh, mm -hmm. Bear Stearns collapsed. I remember getting to college and I'd had the conversation with friends like, hey, I'm Dan, what are you studying? And literally every single one of them said finance. <laughs> and I'm like, this seems strange. And I remember one friend in particular was like, um, I'm studying finance because money is how the world works. And I remember thinking, kind of, but really technology is how the world works. So mm -hmm. I'm going to study engineering. Um, and, and so fast forward, the world blows up. Every single one of my friends, except for maybe one or two, left finance. And now they're all doing startups and technology, mm -hmm. and media, et cetera, because it's just, you know, it's real business. Anyway, did that, did another startup. <laughs> online advertising. Um, then I did another startup, which we sold to ultimately Salesforce. Um, Crazy. And everybody knows Salesforce too. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's like a, an interesting segue into the influencer world. The first um, almost venture-backed company I started, software company, was this company called Spinback. We helped online brands and retailers measure how much money they were making from Facebook. It's like 2010. Okay. Every brand on earth wanted likes. Yes. No one knew what that meant. Oh my gosh. And every single business, there was a little decal and it was the thumbs up and it said, like us on Facebook and everyone had likes and there were all these subset groups and everything. So that's right. It was like the first version of influencing was that's Facebook right. likes. And in fact, if you still walk around New York City, you could see those stickers still on some of these old bodegas and yeah. coffee shops. <laughs> but um, that was the product we built. And so we worked with all of the brands and retailers in the world. So companies like the OG D2C companies like Bonobos and Warby Parker and then L'Oreal, Godiva Chocolate, QVC. And so we had an opportunity to work firsthand with amazing, amazing brands and retailers and really power what was then their social media monetization strategy and see what was working, what was not. And, and I remember one day in particular, we were working with QVC and we saw what we thought was our product completely breaking. And and specifically, we saw like this huge revenue spike. And if you know QVC, it's a TV show, basically. Mm -hmm. And they see all their sales when people show up on TV and they talk about these amazing, much like what you do on Instagram. Right. But that's 24-7, 364 days 
uh, a year minus Christmas. And I'm like, where is this revenue coming from? No one's on TV. And yet, and so we dug into it and it turned out that like one person on their blog at the very bottom of some product detail page talked about this product that they love to change their life and it drove an insane amount of sales. And at that moment, I remember thinking, this is where the world is headed. Mm-hmm. Like gone are the days of big media publications or staunch uh, or institutions being the only player to drive influence, but individuals now due to the advent of the internet and social media have just as much influence, if not more than some of these bigger traditional companies. You're a perfect example. Like look at what we're doing right here. Yeah. And, um, and so that stuck with me. And so we sold the company to Salesforce and I took about a year and a half to try to figure out life. I was honestly, you would think I would, uh, you you would have thought I would be enjoying life, but I was actually a little bit depressed because mm-hmm. now what? And I spent about a year investing a little bit, wandering the desert, trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Love that. And um, I remember reconnecting with all of my old customers and brands, pitching them effectively a new software idea. And one of them in particular was like, Dan, that's a really good idea, but can we get your thoughts on a strategic initiative that we have? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you're the third largest retailer in the world. I'd love to hear about your strategic <laughs> initiative. And um, lo and behold, they realized, surprise, surprise, the world is changing. It's moving away from traditional media, television, radio, print, and to digital media and social media and influence, influencer marketing. And they wanted to prove that they could launch brands digitally with uh, with what would mean to be unlimited shelf space compared mm-hmm. to the finite shelf space they have on television. And they're like, what do you think? <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's a great idea. And I know your business pretty well. I know digital pretty well, but I know I don't know anything about beauty, um, but I know somebody that does. And so during that year, I was wandering the desert and trying to figure out life. I was working out of an office on 60th and Madison, a venture capital firm's office. And in that office, I became friendly with another person doing his own private equity investing. And he was able to do that and is able to do that because he was um, partners with Bobby Brown and helped start launch Bobby Brown Cosmetics. Mm -hmm. So I got to hear his story about how he started Bobby Brown with 10 lipsticks and 10 SKUs and a small table. And he got to hear my story of how we worked with all these brands and helped them transform in social media. And we got lunch with a retailer and several meetings later realized that, wow, we have a unique opportunity to launch our own digitally native um, beauty brand with a very motivated retailer. I'm like, you know what? Forget software. This seems quite interesting, and I'm going to try this. And so we went all in. Quickly, we both realized that we didn't know what beauty product we would make. (laughs) You know, I'm not a beauty junkie, and certainly he, while he came out of beauty, isn't one either. And so we needed someone to help us figure this out with and and create products with real credibility and real authenticity. And so. I was just patting my head against the wall thinking about how am I going to figure this part out? And I remember coming home and having this conversation with with my wife and planted that seed with her. And then a couple of weeks later, I get an email from her with like a video link. Mm-hmm. Uh, just watch this. And I click the link and lo and behold, it's a segment of Dr. Roshini Raj on one of these shows, Bethany Frankel or Dr. Oz or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching it thinking, Oh my God, she is perfect. She this gets is our it. Woman. She's amazing. I have to speak to her. So I sent her a cold email. 
cold email became a phone call. I remember where I was outside the New York Times building, speaking to her on the phone. We hit it off right away. And a week later, we had her in for an in-person meeting. And probably a week after that, we were all kind of shaking hands, agreeing to go go on this together and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, a week later, I gave her homework, which is like, help us come up with a name. She came back with a list of maybe half a dozen names, Dr. Roshini Raj, Raj, forgot the others. There was Tula. I'm like, this is interesting. What is Tula? Well, it's the Sanskrit word for balance, balance on the inside and out, beauty on the inside and out. And she was a gastroenterologist, internal medicine. So that worked really well. So we picked Tula. We liked the name. Maybe the week or two after we picked some packaging and colors and the Tula blue and and Tula was born and the rest they say is history. But that's how Tula started. That might be the best lead up that I could have ever asked for. I was not expecting all the details of that. I feel like you just answered so many of my questions, specifically um, kind of touching on the idea of one of the things I had for you is you've had quite a few businesses along the way. Um, You've learned a lot of things. Have you, where have you been getting this information of like learning how to find a vendor and then learning how to set up a website and all of these factors that have helped you create your first business to then Tula? Ultimately, it just comes down to, at least for for me, and I think others that have done pretty well, just an intense uh, appetite for uh, information and just mm-hmm. immense curiosity of like everything. Um, mm-hmm. I'll read a ton. I'll um, have many, many conversations with people in every industry. Just today, for example, I was meeting with somebody in the renewable en- energy space because I'm just fascinated <laughs> about renewable energy and solar panel and fusion. And I just want to get smart on that space. I think it's a massive opportunity. And then as I texted you. I think yesterday I was meeting with a friend who's an investor in the CPG and beauty space to catch up for obvious reasons. But yeah. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, like I, I, I always want to, and in most cases, I'm pretty dumb in these rooms, but that means it's because I'm learning from somebody else that is much smarter in their domain or thing I'm trying to learn from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, it's Google, it's the internet, it's reaching out to people, not being afraid to reach out to people and say, Hey, do you have 20 minutes, 30 minutes for a call? I have some questions I'd love to pick your brain and get your thoughts on. Much like you're doing here. The only difference mm-hmm. is you're filming it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys. Yeah. You guys, And you all get to listen to it, yeah. thankfully. If you guys missed me talking about this last week, I'm going to remind you because the Macy's VIP sale started on March 24th, but you still have time because it ends on April 2nd. So you can get 30% off of all regular sale and clearance items. Plus 15% off of all beauty items too. You guys have noticed that I have been slaying my makeup lately. I've been doing it a little bit differently. So I'll link all of the makeup products that I'm using right now on my Macy's page at macy's.com forward slash F-O-W. And don't forget, shop the sale before you miss it. Another question I have is, so when I was talking to you in Dallas, I was just faced with the struggle of not knowing what direction to go. And it sounds like you are similar to me where you have all of these different interests, whether it's in beauty or CPG or engineering or your Salesforce, you know, technology. Um, What is your advice to anyone that is struggling with their career, just having, you know, maybe different interests and just no idea what to do with their life or where to even start? Yeah. Well, so for the record, um, I have some idea, but I'm kind of back in that space. So I'm, we'll touch on it, but I'm no Mm -hmm. longer 
uh, at, at Salesforce. Um, I'm a free agent again, and now I have the capacity to do kind of whatever I want. And I'm not really sure what that is. I have some ideas. I'm working on a few things, but um, but I guess my point is I've kind of been here before, and I think what's worked for me are, are, are two things. The first is you just need patience. Like every time I've tried to force a thing that I needed to do because I was freaking out that I didn't know what to do with life, it always led to unnatural, inorganic, and kind of bad paths or results. Mm -hmm. But it's when I took a step back and was not afraid to be uncomfortable. In fact, got really comfortable being uncomfortable and just let uh, my passions kind of bubble to the top and chase those passions and whatever excited me and gave me energy. Um, that is where and how I spend my time. You know, said another way, like I look at a lot of people in what look like great jobs um, to an outsider and they're, they're miserable. And if you're miserable at anything, you're never going to be great at anything. And and so it's the instances where you find the most excitement, the most level of engagement. That is where you should lean in, even if it seems weird and strange and obscure. But it's a good chance you'll be probably really, really good at it because you want to spend your time there. It's kind of like the quote are saying, um, if if you're if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. The first part is you need to figure out what of all your interests are, what rises to the top. And that just might take some time and patience to sort through. Mm -hmm. And I think importantly as well with patience is that whatever that interest may be may also change in like five years, it 10 will years, change. one year. Exactly. So when I was having this discussion with myself, my inner monologue, and I was hearing these things from you, I think it was just so reassuring to know that someone that is successful and has done all these incredible things in life also does still have these same feelings of me where it's like, what is the next step? Like, where do I go? And so I just think that it's a good reminder that you don't need to have like a clear path and just that patience. I've been trying to like lean into that myself. And lately I've felt a lot better direction, but that's also not possible without people like you that are giving me like the great advice. Yeah. You don't need a clear path and nor do you need a linear logical career, right? Mm -hmm. When I started Tula and I would tell my friends and family, I remember these conversations pretty vividly. So Dan, are you going to get a job? I don't know. <laughs> what are you doing? I think I have an idea a week later. I know what I'm doing. What is it? I'm building can you imagine? Like I, I was in <laughs> software and engineering. I was building computers when I was young. I said, I'm building a skincare, a women's skincare company. And the response, ha, 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 ha. Like, no, really, Dan, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> no, really, I'm building a skincare company. People thought it was a joke, actually thought it was a mm -hmm. joke um, because I'm not a skincare guy or I'm not a beauty guy. But I would argue that because I didn't come out of uh, beauty or skincare, I was able to look at it with fresh eyes and fresh perspective. And when you hear things and people say things like, well, that's not the way it's done or the way it's always been done is, well, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So I get to blow it up and start from scratch, coupled with things that worked and invent things along the way. And I think that's one of the reasons Tula uh, worked out. Like in the earliest days of Tula when I was running it full time, before this whole influencer thing became a big deal, from my last experience, I remember seeing how important social media was in some of these individuals. So I would handwrite notes and send lab samples mm -hmm. out to tons of these mommy WordPress bloggers all <laughs> over the world by hand because I'm like, these are my customers and 
I did that over and over and over again. And then as we grew, we just institutionalized a little bit more. And by the time we sold Tula, we had worked with probably over four or five, 6,000 uh, influencer partnerships directly. But, um, you know, I was never a beauty guy before. And mm -hmm. here we are having a conversation with you about, about beauty, beauty. And entrepreneurship. <laughs> and uh, there was another quote I heard from uh, the founder of Southwest Airline that, that always sticks with me. And, and the quote was something like, um, the reason he was best suited to start uh, Southwest Airlines is because he never had before or he never came out of the airline industry before. So similar concept. Mm -hmm. He gets to look at everything with fresh perspective. And in a way, although my partner did come out of beauty, uh, I did not. So I got to apply fresh perspective, but also incorporate best practices from his years of experiences in mm -hmm. the industry. I really love that take on fresh perspective instead of feeling lost. It's just like redirection, new motivation, something new to learn about instead of, you know, like burying yourself in a hole and just feeling lost and just overwhelmed. Um, so going into Tula and how it all started. So you had this idea to build this skincare brand. You have your your co-founder at this point. And so you're looking for the face. And so that correct? Well, we were looking for a co- I wouldn't call her a face. We were looking for a real partner that yeah. could help us think through arguably the most important part of the business, the product. which is like, what are we making? And right. like, look, the world didn't need, as we all know, the world doesn't need another skincare line or another, <laughs> even though I'm a started, started another beauty company with dibs. Like there is a lot out there. So if we were going to do this, it needed to be meaningful. It needed to be able to change people's lives for mm -hmm. the better, not just physically, but emotionally and build confidence. And so it had to be real and genuine and authentic. Mm -hmm. and so we needed somebody that uh, yes, had some media savvy, but what, in, in the case of Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz, medical editor for Health Magazine on TV three, four times a week, but like knew the science, knew the patients. Mm -hmm. And that's really where she uh, she helped in a pretty big way. So starting Tula, how many products did y'all start with? We started with four products, mm -hmm. five SKUs. So uh, I think it was the cleanser and eye serum um, or, or eye cream, illuminating serum. And I forgot the last one. And then a discovery kit. So many versions of all those. Okay. Four. And the whole premise behind Chula is that it's like clean skincare and the probiotic aspect of it as well. Well, yeah. Right. So as I mentioned, Dr. Raj was a gastroenterologist. So she would see these patients and treat them and help them and diagnose them for internal medicine. You think about mm -hmm. um, gastroenterology and we think about probiotics and yogurt and it's good for our internal organs and so i remember one meeting she came in and she said you know have you guys looked at probiotics we're like for what your skin she's <laughs> like yeah we're like hmm, that's strange and what she observed with her patients was that uh, the patients that were taking probiotics had the had the more glowing and radiant skin so she implied that there might be a connection here and so that was pretty interesting and so we started to do homework but actually, that same day, she also came in with a research report by the American Academy of Dermatology that showed probiotics that year to be a beauty breakthrough for skincare. And why is that? Well, we know pro probiotics are good for our internal organs. Did we? Did did you know that skin is the largest organ mm -hmm. on your body? So it kind of makes sense when you think about it that way. And so we dug in and we saw a lot of research, new research around that, that supported that idea. And when we realized the science and data behind it, that got us really excited. And that's mm -hmm. when we decided to go all in on that concept. So probiotics and superfoods, clean, healthy, and, um, and it worked. Yeah. So. 
it's it's crazy. I mean, probiotics are such a huge part of like women's health now, I feel. I actually just started taking a pre-pro and postbiotic. Yeah. And the difference that I feel in my energy daily and like digestion and my skin and everything, I, it's made a huge difference. It's like, why did I not know about this sooner? Yeah. So definitely love the idea. I mean, it, it's very unique. And exactly what you said is that if you're going to start something that has to have a purpose and has to have a meaning to it. Um, so you start with these first four products, these five SKUs. And at this point, are you online only? Where are you selling Tula? We launched Tula, and for the first year, we were exclusive to QVC.com. We were their first ever digital only launch of a brand. And as soon as that year expired, I was behind the scenes building our first direct to consumer e commerce site, Tula.com. And at, after in year two, we launched uh, Tula.com, and Dr. Raj started to make television appearances on QVC. Mm-hmm. And we did that for maybe a year or two. And then Shortly thereafter, or along the way, we launched with Ulta, mm-hmm. um, and and then more recently, the past year or two, we launched with uh, Sephora. And I should I should note that along that way, um, I also decided to fire myself as CEO and okay. and and leave because I figured there were other people better than me suited to run a women's beauty company day to day. But um, that was our journey. Mm-hmm. So as you're getting into retail, I think this is just very interesting for anyone with a startup. As you're growing rapidly and you have these, how does that work? Is Ulta reaching out to you and they're saying, hey, like we keep hearing about your brand. We want to bring it in the store. Is this something that you guys were actively going out and you're trying to scale your business by getting into retail? Uh, so in the case of Ulta, I think and I'm pretty sure we were getting a lot of inbound interest from a bunch of retailers all over the world, I think uh, Ulta included. And and so we had a conversation with them. We had a preliminary meeting and uh, one meeting became another meeting. And lo and behold, we realized they could be a really great partner for us. Mm -hmm. And as we knew we were heading in to Ulta, we also knew that if we were going to do this, we needed to do it right. We would need a larger capital base to make the right investments in this rollout. And so also around that time, we partnered with a private equity firm named L. Catterton, L standing for L from LVMH, Louis Vuitton, Mohan C, uh, mm-hmm. who are arguably one of the better, if not the best consumer PE firm out there. And so they got it right away. They partnered with us and um, we just got very methodical and very prepared for an Ulta launch. Mm-hmm. And we launched, and I think within the first 12 to 18 months, we went from one of the the um, the newbie skincare companies quickly to the number one skincare brand in Ulta. And that was really, really exciting. But that took a lot of time and energy and investment. A lot of people, a lot of smarter people than me doing the sure. thing. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. And speaking on that, one of my questions is um, during your time at Ulta, or sorry, not Ulta, <laughs> at Tula, same letters. Um, what were some of your like greatest accomplishments? So we've got Good accomplishments. We also have probably the greatest failure column, which is yes, more that was going to be my next question. Yeah, but um, yeah, the greatest accomplishment I think first and foremost is the team that we built. Right, like, the, like it would we would not have gotten to where we did if not for just better people than me and amazing people building the business. So that by far is the thing I'm most proud of. Uh, just a great, great group of people. And the second thing is the that got me really excited and some cases pretty emotional. I remember in the early days, not sure if these products would work and if people would like them getting customer letters. And I remember there was one in particular from a woman who sent a letter and the gist of the letter was like, 
I've had Crohn's disease for ever. I, and in the past few years, I haven't been able to leave my house and I've been debilitated and my life has been incredibly horrible. And I started using your products and I started to look good and feel better. And it was the first time in two, three years I was able to leave my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, thank you. And so that was the first time I realized we were making a real impact on people's lives. There was another example of a daughter that wrote a note in um, her mother had passed away and she was going through her mother's things and she mm-hmm. saw that her mother was using Tula products. And uh, so she had a connection to her mother through through Tula and she started to use the products and of course love them. And so like little moments like that when you realize you're affecting somebody's life at scale in our case, because we were selling a lot of Tula, that was probably the second thing I'm, I'm most proud of. And then, you know, of course, the most obvious one is selling and partnering with a company like Procter & Gamble, this incredibly iconic right. American consumer products company is is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to touch on that as well. Yeah. I have a ton of questions about, yeah. you know, selling over. And I did want to mention the challenges as well, because without accomplishments, there's, I mean, without challenges, there's no over. Yeah. There were, there were two very specific moments in the earliest days of Tula where I thought there was, we were going to die before we were ever even launched. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first was we were launching with the retailer. We had a specific date we had to be live by, and we had to have our products and components in the factory. And I remember we were getting our tubes for our cleanser, these plastic tubes. And if you ever, I'm sure many people listening have used beauty products with these plastic <laughs> tubes, there's like a crimp on them. And the way that crimp works is there's a seal and there's a machine that heats the seal and it kind of glues it together. Well, we got 10,000 tubes and all of them, or rather none of them had that seal. So it was impossible to fill it and close it. And because we could not do that, we did not have one of our SKUs that we needed to launch. If we did not have all the SKUs, we could not launch. Mm -hmm. So I remember I went to the factory and I said, I'm not leaving here until we figure out how to crimp at least our initial orders worth. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, we can't do this. I'm like, you're going to show me how to use every single machine and every piece of equipment. And I'm not leaving until we do. And so they did, they took me through all the machinery, how that assembly line worked and how that fill worked and how those machines worked. And we got to the crimping machine and they showed me that there's a certain temperature that crimps these tubes. And I said, cool. Well, what happens if we make it a little bit hotter? Like, can we actually melt this stuff together? Yeah, but it's going to damage the the tube. It won't look as good. I said, I don't care. <laughs> so we started to slowly dial up the heat until we were able to literally melt the tube at the top to hold the seal. Problem is, it only worked half the time. So then I was sitting on the assembly line for hours by hand, putting them in the, the good column or bucket <laughs> and the bed. And I did that until we had enough to launch. And we launched, we hit our launch date, which brings me to my second, oh my God, we're dead moment. <laughs> and that's when we launched on QVC on television for the first time. And mm-hmm. so me and my partner, Ken and Dr. Raj, we all go down to QVC together and Dr. Raj gets ready and she goes on camera in the studio and me and Ken are sitting behind a computer watching the TV with her on air and also this computer screen that shows in real time call volume and revenue. And we had an eight minute segment. We had to hit some threshold to to be successful or not in their eyes. And so show goes on and I'm watching McGrath and one minute goes by, no calls, no revenue, two minutes, 
a little bit, but nothing really. Three minutes, same, four, five. We get all, all the way pretty much to the end of the segment, and we haven't done anything. And I'm like, like this is a nightmare and a disaster, mm -hmm. and we'll chalk this up in the failed business column because I have plenty of those. And I said, I'm not going to look at the computer screen anymore. I'm going to enjoy the last 45 seconds and watch my co-founder on television talking about this thing we built. And as I'm watching it, my other co-founder, Ken, goes, Dan, Dan, look, look at the computer screen. And the chart just went through the roof. Was it just glitching or what was going on at this what point? What do you think it was? Um, probably too many people are calling and so you couldn't handle the call volume or? So basically what happened is no one was calling during the show because nobody had heard this story before. Everybody wanted- Oh, to, they were just listening. Yeah, everyone wanted to see this thing called Tula by Dr. Raj. And so they were all just watching this new segment from this new brand. And then the end of the segment's over and people go, okay, this is cool. Now I'm gonna buy it. Mm -hmm. And that's when sales took off. Um, but those were really stressful six or seven minutes for sure. Yeah, I can't imagine, especially with your previous experience working with QVC and you finally get this moment to launch this product yeah. and you're like, oh my God, what? Yeah. So speaking of some of the failed businesses that you slightly mentioned, uh, can you speak on some of those and like the lessons that those taught you? Yeah, where to begin? So I mentioned the first one in high school, mm -hmm. choose, choose a business partner. Um, <laughs> um, kind of related, I, I almost, or I did start a, a healthcare company, and this was to me exciting. It was in the, um, the cardiac space, basically, and I partnered with another successful entrepreneur, but but doctor and his son who came out of the healthcare space, and we were trying to build a business around congestive heart failure. Right, like talk about different interests. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, seriously. <laughs> and and so I was building a company around helping patients with congestive heart failure. It's one of the most chronic illnesses out there. It's a huge train on the healthcare system. And and so I get a meeting set up with the CEO of this massive healthcare system in New Jersey. And so me and my co-founder and doctor, the expert in the field, we meet at the hospital and I've been preparing the whole week and he's a much older guy and he gets to the hospital and I'm ready to engage in a prep conversation for the meeting we're about to have. And he goes, hey, what do you think about this piece of art that I just hung up on, on my wall? He took it up a big hobby in, in, in art collection. And I'm like, dude, we're about to go into this pretty big meeting. We should chat about this. And we go into the meeting and it was clear that um, he was just not prepared, mm -hmm. didn't even think about this meeting for a minute. There were like 15 executives in this room. And I just remember thinking, we are not on the same page. At right. all. He doesn't need this. We're at a different stage in life. And I just realized at that point, uh, back to people, it's not just that you need to work with complementary uh, people with complementary skill sets. You need to be compatible in terms of interests and like work ethic and commitment because you're really just signing up for a marriage. So that was quickly <laughs> after that meeting. I'm like, this is not going anywhere. I put that, put that to the side. I um, I started or almost started a cannabis company. New York made cannabis legal. There were they were going to issue five licenses, kind of like casino or liquor licenses. Each license you must have a cultivation center, aka like uh, your your garden basically, <laughs> and then your dispensaries, which are like your retail stores. And so, me and a buddy of mine that had success in that industry. We applied. We were one of 49 companies that applied. 
and we lost. I think we were like 15th or 16th. Silver lining being we were by far the cheapest in terms of how much money we invested, but scored like we scored really well based on their point or score compared to how much money we put in. So I was like, all right, that's that was cool. So that was a failure. Um, what else? Uh, I started another company in college called thecampusatlas.com, which the gist was a student portal where you can get all of your drink specials, restaurant specials, professor ratings, weather, all of your logins for school email, like you name it. Mm-hmm. We rolled up to 10 college campuses. And th- this was actually doing well, but I put it on hold to go um, do another startup that I thought had more upside. So anyway, like there's a huge bucket full of failed stuff, but you know, you can't be afraid to fail and that's how you learn. Yeah. Only just brings another opportunity. So my last question that I wanted to ask you before getting into selling Tula to Procter & Gamble was we mentioned some of the successes that you had career-wise, but I wanted to know during this time that you are focusing so heavily on your career and like building, um, what were some of the successes that you had in your personal life? And did you find it hard to separate, you know, work from life and just enjoying life, literally? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, on the personal front, uh, let's see, for for Tula and Troops, um, I was married before I started these companies, but during both I had two kids. So my daughter is now three and a half. My son's almost 16 months. Um, so those are big wins. Mm-hmm. The work-life balance thing or lack thereof is real. Right? Yeah. You know, when you're building a, a startup or kind of doing what you're doing, you see how much time it takes. It's a, it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. not just time-wise, but mentally, right? Like I would, being at dinner, be thinking about the things that are not working or are working and it's just time consuming. But yeah, that was a win having two kids. We, during COVID, COVID hit, I moved in with my, my in-laws, which I thought would be for a week while we figured out where we <laughs> go, go next. But surprise, surprise, COVID <laughs> crushed the world for two years. So I was there for nine months and that was, uh, that was silver lining because I got to build a better relationship with them. And, and also my kids, like I work from home more than I ever had, had it not been for COVID. I don't know that I would really have that great of a relationship with my kids because I'd be up before they get up and probably home after they go to sleep most of the time. But, Mm -hmm. you know, now between calls, I can go pop in and say hi, whatever. So I would say big ones on the family front in that sense. Yeah. Good for you. I'd love to hear that. Love to hear about it. You were telling me about your kids a little bit in Dallas. So I think it's really great to know that you've been able to kind of get closer with them through yeah. all of this as well. So now talking about selling Tula. Yep. So this happened about a year ago. Yeah. How would you say that your life has changed in the past year? So I'm now a beauty guy. Yeah. Obviously, so it's <laughs> been a pretty big uh, change in a good way. It's fun because it, it's a great industry with amazing people. And per the examples earlier, you, you know, you can change someone's life in a really, really meaningful uh, and intimate way. But, um, you know, there's the obvious financial win, right? Like when you have an exit at that scale, uh, it does, there's a big win on the financial side of things. But really, all money does is give you freedom. And in my case, I've always taken the freedom upon myself to do what I want and mm-hmm. go chase my dreams. Um, but you know now there's a, a little bit more luxury around it, so that's been that's been good. But honestly, aside from a little bit more freedom and being able to do 
cooler things, a little bit of money. Like I'm still doing what I'm doing. I'm still building mm -hmm. businesses. I'm still grinding yeah. in a way, right? I'm working on another one with, with uh, Courtney and Jeff at Dibs and um, mm -hmm. I'm going to probably do a whole lot more, but um, you know, so in a way a lot, but also not that much. Mm -hmm. When you sold Tula to Procter and Gamble and you like finally reached this huge like success point, right? Did you ever feel a sense of like, okay, I, I'm like lost a little bit because everything you poured your heart and all of your time and energy into is no longer yours? Well, so remember, and I touch on this, while I was building Tula, I ended up Oh, because you stepping away day to day okay. to go start like as if one isn't enough to start a software company. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's a software company in between Tula and there's a software company during Tula. In fact, if for anyone that's been to the Tula offices would have seen this other company called Troops, which is a software firm. Um, and so we had a beauty company working side by side, a software company, an enterprise mm -hmm. software company. But obviously they they uh, overlap quite well. And so we sold. Tula to PNG, but I still had my day job running gotcha. this other software company called Troops. And that was also obviously very intense and stressful because there was a lot going on. Um, we were effectively integrating these two other products called Slack and Salesforce. Salesforce had just bought Slack for $30 billion. They are a partner of ours. Ultimately, we ended up selling Troops to Salesforce a couple months later. Okay. But as soon as we sold Tula, like the next call I had was putting out some fires with my team at Troop. So I, I didn't get to just check out, go to the beach. I still right. was running and working on another company. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people have this idea that it's like once you get your dream job or once you accomplish this, once you do that, whatever, once you get there, then you'll be happy and then you'll feel like I can check out and I can do whatever I want. But it sounds like for you, I don't know if there, if that'll ever be a thing because I think that you're always just interested in like, what's the next? Well, it, for me, it's the journey is the prize. Mm -hmm. Like how, imagine you knew exactly how your life would unfold. Like that's not interesting. Or so you have a goal of making X amount of dollars or getting the Y job and then you get it. Mm -hmm. Like we've all kind of gone through some version of this in life before. Many of us have, uh, many not, but for those that have, so then you get there and then it's like, well, now what? Right. And so I think in a way, uh, in a way, life really is about the journey. It's not about the end state. It's not about the outcome only. It is about uh, the journey. And 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 ultimately, if you're not having fun, like, what's the point? If you're not happy, what's the point? So that's what I think about. Well, that was a great, probably unintentional segue into my next question, which is we know each other through divs and ultimately fun on weekdays, which is my podcast. And my whole idea in life is that you can never really do anything that you want to achieve if you aren't setting a setting aside time to have fun and enjoy every day, whether it's a Monday, Tuesday, whatever, if you're just waiting every single week to reward yourself with a fun night on a Saturday, then you just like miss so much of life. You miss so much of the journey. So you knowing me through this, how do you feel fun on weekdays kind of translates to your life? So like for me, work isn't work. It's fun. It's just fun because I get to meet cool people and have cool conversations like this. Um, so that's fun in a sense. And, you know, I try to do the things that seem like a waste of time. Like I still play video games, <laughs> right? Like um, I've been living in New York for years. I used to play the piano. I don't live in New York anymore. I have more space. I got a piano. I'm trying to play again. 
Um, and then the obvious things, golf, I'm a big skier and snowboarder, although not doing that as much on the weekdays. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just, I will do the things that I want to do and that does include work. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, that's how I think about fun on weekdays. Yeah. And having that healthy balance of work. Yeah, for sure. So last thing that I want to touch on, and then we'll wrap things up is your current project right now working with dibs. So can you kind of share how that unfolded and how you decided to start building this brand with Courtney and Jeff? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned earlier in building Tula, we were working with thousands of amazing people and influencers. And I remember, Um, obviously we'd look at who's doing well, who's not doing well. And there was one girl in particular, in particular that seemed to punch above her weight class early. Uh, like I think when we started working with her, she maybe had 10,000 followers, maybe a little bit more, maybe 20, but, uh, she was converting well, her content was great. Uh, she was just really engaged and, um, and so we kept an eye on Courtney Shields and we started mm-hmm. to work together. And then it got to the point where we said, you know what, why don't we do a collaboration together? And I think she might've been the first collaboration we did. And so we built a product together, much like we're doing with you now at Dibs. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just crushed it. Like we launched it. It was one of the best days in sales ever at the business. And that just really, really stuck with me. And we kept building Tula. And as we were after that collaboration or shortly thereafter, I remember catching up with her just to like check in and see what's up and what she's interested in. And um, we had she told me about the fact she was working on a jewelry line Mm -hmm. and she told me that she always wanted to start a beauty company, but she didn't know how. And I said, well, I know a thing or two about beauty. And at the time I was introduced to their mutual friend to our now did CEO Jeff, Jeff Lee. Jeff was running A-Rod Corporation. So Alex Rodriguez, he had helped launch JLo Beauty. He went to law school with a friend of mine. And so we got connected because he was interested in potentially breaking into the beauty space in a bigger way and specifically at Tula. But I knew we were selling the PNG, so there wasn't really an opportunity to work together there. But I just remembered thinking Jeff is amazing uh-huh. and I'd love to see if I could work with him again somehow. And so when Courtney said she wanted to do a beauty company and I knew Jeff wanted to run and start a beauty company, I connected them and they hit it off right away. Mm-hmm. And uh, as soon as they had a few conversations that went really, really well, I, I was like, guys, like, let's do this. I'll, I'll back it. Ken will be in, we'll help you kind of incubate it and, and fund it. And, and that's how, that's how Dibs was born. And it's been, you know, amazing because we're able to take a lot of what worked at Tula mm-hmm. and apply it here. But also it's a different world we're living in now. So not everything that worked at Tula will work here. So back to fresh eyes and fresh perspective, we're just trying to think about things more holistically. For example, at Tula, yes, we did events. We never did events like the way we're doing them at Dibs now. And it's really proving to to work. So, um, you know, back in the back in the beauty game, I guess. And and so far, so good. And you know that because you're working with the team pretty closely. Yes, yes. So uh, speaking of your experience working with influencers and bloggers and everything over at Tula, how do you view the beauty industry, uh, kind of like the future of it, working with creators like myself? Yeah, so I I think that influencers today, if they do things right, which you are, 
are really not just quote influencers. You're, you're an entrepreneur, right? Like you are in this example here, you're building a bit of a media company. You're working on other, uh, ambassador, uh, programs and partnerships with other brands, you're doing product collaborations. And I think, of course, everybody out there doing the influencer thing would love to have something like that on their own. But the reality is not everybody can do that. And so I do think the future is one where influencers and creators will play a bigger role. I think people um, in this space like you will realize that it will be important and almost necessary to evolve beyond just being a quote unquote influencer and build real IP mm-hmm. and real partnerships with other pr- brands and products. And so I think then the key to doing that is really finding the right people and partners to, to do that with, because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it looks like building a business like Tula or even dibs is not easy either. There are a million and one moving pieces, but if you're able to kind of break through the noise, and hustle and go find the right people and partners, then um, I think the future is one where influencer, the term influencer goes away and is replaced with what you already are, which is an entrepreneur. Oh my gosh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm walking away from here feeling like I just got hyped up for the past hour. I love it. Yeah. So one of the common things that you've said throughout this episode has been finding the right people. And as we wrap this episode up, I wanted to ask what other advice you'd like to leave my listeners with, knowing that a lot of my listeners are, you know, kind of at this age where they're either on the cusp of graduating college or they might be in the similar boat as me or even I mean, I don't know. I, I have listeners of all ages, so I really can't bucket them. But a lot of people are just trying to figure out what they're doing. Yeah, I, 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 I've asked myself this question in a slightly different way. And I've been asked this question, which is like, what would you give? What advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah. And and I found myself thinking about that a lot over the years. And I think the answer would be to think bigger, meaning that when you're growing up, you are taught and conditioned by those around you, including your parents and your teachers. And as I mentioned earlier, you're on this societal treadmill, get good grades, you know, go to school, do your homework, get good good grades, and then graduate and go to a good school. And it's, it's very incremental, but like no one, I was fortunate. Somebody I worked for put me in a situation where as a teenager, I was effectively building a business with him. Most people don't get that exposure to you can do anything. So in short, I would just encourage yourself to think that you can do anything. Like Mm -hmm. there's no limitation to what you can and cannot do. You just have to choose to believe that Mm -hmm. and choose to act on it. And most people, especially when they're younger, don't because they feel like they haven't been allowed to or they haven't been given permission yet or they haven't graduated yet or they haven't gotten the right job yet. But I think anything is possible and you just have to believe it and go for it. Thank you. I love that advice. One of my favorite quotes from, well, I don't know if it's a quote, but one of my favorite sayings that I learned from my first job in college, they said, whatever your goal is, cross it out and double it. Because whatever you think in your mind is achievable is like far too less of what you're capable of. So I think that's been something that has stuck with me. And um, I think, again, just exactly what you said, surrounding yourself with good people, which is what I'm doing here today. So thank you so much for joining me and being on the podcast. This is truly such a huge honor. And I know people are going to have so many great takeaways from this and hopefully leave this episode feeling very motivated. Yeah, you got it. My pleasure. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dan. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I'll talk to you guys next Tuesday. (laughs) 